right, welcome to another episode of the Streaking the Lawn podcast. As it usually is, my name is Pierce, and as I usually do, Caroline, you're, I have you joining me this week. How's it going? Hey. hey. You know, it's good. I think we're going to see some football? Mm, question mark? Mm, don't jinx it. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, it's ruined. <laughs> hours left for something to go wrong, but uh, joining us also this week, a, a returning favorite, favorite guest of, of the podcast, we've got Lauren Brownlow. Hello, Lauren. How are you? Hi, you know, same as usual, same as every day now for <laughs> yeah. the last checks watch uh six and a half months. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Worn a really good spot into the couch where you do all your work and also all your leisure time. At least that's yeah. what I've as, done. as Caroline knows, my dog has actually really dug the spot in the couch, <laughs> repeated spots in the couch. So my couch is a mess because she anxious digs into it when i'm not around who among us doesn't anxious dig i'm worried for all the dogs out there if we ever return to i know right office life (laughs) my dog's gonna be like hold up (laughs) i don't know what being alone is like anymore i don't like it but uh we are here to talk about football as caroline noted hopefully we have a game this weekend you're University of Virginia football team hosting the Duke Blue Devils. And it's not fair that they've got to play twice, uh, you know? I'd... And Duke will say it's not fair that they don't have any tape on us. So it's a nice, like, balance <laughs> of, like, this. I yeah, Cutcliffe yeah. has actually been a little, I think, a little perturbed that they've had essentially three straight what he calls openers in the sense that, like, you know, they open with Notre Dame, which Notre Dame was also opening, so that's mm. even in that way. Then they get BC, who no one's ever seen play, <laughs> two, literally with a new coach and everything. And then yeah. in week three, you know, it's a little different because they know Virginia a little better, obviously, being in the same division. He knows some of what they like to do, but they haven't played yet this year. And then mm. obviously know Bryce Perkins, which – Yeah, new quarterback. Right. <laughs> yeah sort of changes uh what you're anticipating from uva without considering <laughs> yeah. it was a hundred percent bryce perkins <laughs> see give so, the ball to bryce perkins yeah. all the time offense likely will look different but you know, who's to say um but the you know beating the crap out of your quarterback defense uh should carry over for the who's we we yeah. as uva fans at least hope uh charles snowden uh, could be maybe your biggest figure at there for for that role. Matt Gamm, it's hard too. not to look at that. Like the I looked at the depth chart and mm-hmm. was like, I really love this defense. <laughs> like it just feels. I mean, there's a lot of you know fourth and fifth years starting. Yeah. Um. Even losing Bryce Hall, you have like names that you write like fans will recognize and trust in the you know in the secondary with um joey blunt and nick grant stuff like that and then obviously Mm -hmm. the linebackers are just like incredible um plus you get all the pressure and the returning guys on the defensive line like i don't know i'm curious your take after two games on chase bryce lauren just obviously obviously like he's a talented quarterback he was recruited by clemson for a reason um transferred to duke but he's had a few struggles early but i don't I don't know. He's one of those yeah. he can make you pay, but he might also be ready or in for a long day on Saturday if that offensive line can't give him any time. That's the thing too. And yeah, it's like as usual, like with most things offensively, it's never just one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think I was actually impressed with the way they looked in the first game. I was, I mean, it looked like they had chemistry, which I wasn't expecting. He didn't get to Durham until pretty late. You know, usually sometimes those transfer guys can get in sooner, but he was finishing stuff at Clemson, some of his grad work, and then obviously like the pandemic. So he didn't get back until like mid-July-ish, I think is when Duke finally started back on campus stuff. So um, I thought chemistry would be more of an issue, but it didn't seem like it in game one. In game two, it did inexplicably <laughs> for some reason and um you know I, the way Cutcliffe has talked about it too I mean they had five turnovers he had some bad picks um the way Cutcliffe sort of described it is he's capable of making a play that's what they like about him that's what made him who he is but sometimes he wants to force that play to be made when you know the better play is just taking the sack or throwing it away and he's that's the yeah, part yeah. that they're yeah that they're getting because he makes some plays sometimes that you go wow like that was really a nice play there and he's he's <laughs> capable of it and um but receivers aren't getting great separation obviously the line is struggling and it was going to anyways and then with them losing Jack Wallabaugh right before the season started their starting center and a guy that NFL scouts had been looking at that was a big blow and honestly mm-hmm. one that I thought was going to handicap their offense pretty significantly and the weird thing is they've moved the ball um they're just really horrible in the red zone. Just really bad. Uh, I'm familiar yeah. with that kind of football team. Um, <laughs> I'm curious about your take on, on Duke football over these two weeks and how it might have changed after the week one loss to the week two loss. Because to me, as a, you know, obviously I'm not rooting for them <laughs> really in, in any matchup, but, uh, you know, they played pretty well at yeah. Notre Dame, a game that no one would have you know, thought they would have won. So maybe, you know, the fans are are leaving that loss and going like, gosh, we were actually pretty close. It's frustrating, but you know, good sign. They played Notre Dame pretty tough. And then you lose at home by what, 20 or so. Yeah. 20 exactly to Boston college. That's a different type of loss, right? So what kind of transition did you see in in how people feel about them? Well, some of this goes back like it's not as if we're looking at this year in and of itself and just saying, okay, this year is its own entity mm-hmm. with Duke. I think like you've had Cutcliffe taking over the play calling and I think he did get into a nice rhythm at Notre Dame and you did notice a little bit of a difference, but I think in, in the Boston college game, you sort of noticed them, I think falling into some of the traps that they've been in, in terms of play calling um, over the last gosh, four or five, six years, maybe, maybe since Kurt Roper left. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, look, it's Cutcliffe's talked openly about it. It's been tough. You know, he's having to obviously head coaches have to take on a lot more right now with, you know, with the COVID-19 and everything that's going along with that. Like coaches have essentially become like the COVID overseers. And, right. Yeah. And to worry about protocols and all the yeah. other stuff on top of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they have to tweak some of their practice plans accordingly and stuff like that. And it's been a lot for him to do that and take on play calling, but that's what he's doing. That's the reality. And um, the thing, the thing that sucks, and I predicted this, and I think a lot of Duke football fans did too. I knew that after what they did at Notre Dame, they would come out flat against Boston college. Now I didn't think they would lose by 20. Yeah, that that was unexpected, (laughs) but I thought that they would play poorly and I hated I hated, and I know Duke football fans hated that I was right about that because <laughs> like, and I, and they hated that they were right about it. And that's where I think they, there's some frustration. It, it seemed like after 2013 or so that they were starting to settle into this routine as a consistent program year in, year out, they're going to be pretty solid. You know, they get talked about and they still get talked about this way, even though it's no longer really true. 
as a team that doesn't beat themselves with mistakes and stuff like that, they absolutely do that now. Yeah. That's a, that is a thing they do now. And the weird thing about Duke, too, is they've become a team that has been able to recruit well on defense, especially along the front, which is something I never thought would be able to happen at Duke, just <laughs> ever. And so, like, they have, and they are really talented there. But uh, you see it over the course of a game, a defense that is very talented and very good gets sort of mentally worn down, if nothing else, like, by the fact that, like, okay, our offense can't score points, you know? <laughs> and you see it as the game goes on. You see, like, that defense just sort of, making the kinds of mistakes it wasn't making early in the game when when there was still hope there um because it's like great they're just gonna turn it right back over so i oh, see God, that's <laughs> gotta be the worst like you know like, i mean like yeah. just, <laughs> and i know there's definitely been times where we've watched virginia teams that seem to have that same vibe around them um it's it's i but i did i will say i somehow stumbled into fire cutcliffe twitter or at least a part of Twitter that was seeming to go that way talking about his record and all where do you what is the pulse of the fan base when it comes to like that because to me that seems crazy but only because where Duke was and where he's brought them and what he's do like what he's done obviously you can't hold on to that type of thing forever like you can't be like well in the 70s they took us from this team that barely won but yeah this still seems so recent to me like it seems like such a weird I got I got into it with um our friend Joe Obvious about this recently. Yeah. Because Love he, him. He was like, well, he was he pointed out he'd mentioned Jim Grove to me. And uh-huh. I was like, well, that's not the same thing. And he's like, is it not? And I'm like, he's like small private school that traditionally isn't good at football and you and was very bad before he got there. He made them very good and then he couldn't maintain it. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like I did have that moment of like oh like I don't I still don't know that it's right I don't know that it's still like exactly comparable because for for one thing Grove's recruiting had gotten really bad and and Duke has recruited pretty like for what Duke is Duke has recruited pretty well um but I under like the comparison did kind of hit me in the stomach and it's hard you know there is there's two things that kind of work against Duke from like a media perspective too is like one is like oh cute little Duke you know the little engine that could they'll never Mm. be x but like cutcliffe's made them into y and that has Mm. to be good enough and then there's the fact that cutcliffe is such a wonderful guy that we all like very much Um, (laughs) so like you know he's he's great and so it's it is something where you just go you know you look at it and that is something working against duke a little bit though too because like okay let's say they did fire cutcliffe by the way no one's firing anybody during a pandemic just Uh throwing that out there but whatever (laughs) well the lions (laughs) might but like college teams I think for the most part of course right, are not gonna fire people during a pandemic but let's say they did the thing is too you look at that and you have to look at the way the coaching community looks at cut and mm-hmm. they yeah. he's, he's loved as much as we love him here in the media like you really think that like by and large in the coaching community they'll look at like firing Cutcliffe and go oh yeah I want to go coach there like Mm -hmm. not really you'd probably have to start fresh with like some FCS guy that's an up-and-comer and And, you know you're also running the risk at that point of Duke becoming what Duke used to be anyway you know that's what it is and so you know I understand their frustration though because I have shared some of that over the last few years where you just kind of keep waiting for Duke to sort of settle back into what it was which is a consistent program that you know, 
occasionally had a year where their ceiling was like, you know, nine ish wins and goes to bowls all the time. But instead it's just kind of been this all over the place thing. Duke is is known for either having a really good performance um, against a team they shouldn't beat or beating a team they shouldn't beat. And then coming out the next week and looking like garbage. And that should not be a thing that Duke is known for, but that's where we're at right now. And um, I understand the frustration um, and I understand the flip side of why it would seem insane considering what Duke football was before <laughs> David Cutcliffe got there. Right. Wait, but- so what's the trend after those things? So say, say your team that's playing them week four <laughs> after they've, you know, outperformed <laughs> against a team they shouldn't have played as well against and then come well, out flat. What happens next? <laughs> I don't know that there's a necessarily a trend there. Oh, come it really, on. <laughs> it really depends somewhat yeah. on who they play, right? I mean, if- <laughs> and Virginia, I, I would honestly go with their trend against certain teams. And mm-hmm. obviously their trend against Virginia has been very bad. Their offensive line has looked like crap. I, I think, like, if I had to predict how this is going to go, not that we're at that part yet, but I would say, like, <laughs> I would say, like, I think they'll come out looking much better than they did, you know, last week because they looked horrible from the start last week. And what that means, you know, I don't know. Um, You know, what that translates into, I don't know. Can they finally score in the red zone? Who knows? (laughs) Who's to say? But, like, that's something that I think think they will look much more competent and prepared from the jump. Whether that translates itself into points or, or whatever, I don't know. But I think that they will look better from the start. Whether they get demoralized as the game goes on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because it's not a good matchup at all it's not yeah. the kind of matchup you want right now if you do well and talk to us a little bit about the, those injuries with the corners I mean uh, obviously that's going to be detrimental to any team uh, but knowing Duke's depth or or maybe lack thereof how detrimental <laughs> do you see yeah. these injuries being yeah you, they liked the corners that they had of course and coming in and, and getting some guys back healthy and everything like that but um, you know, that front too is really, really good. Their linebackers have played really mm-hmm. well. Their defensive line is excellent. Um, and, but you obviously, you know, you need some help from that spot. And so to have injuries there is not something they want because they don't have a ton of depth there. Um, and that's not ideal, especially because <laughs> as we've seen, like they need to have all of the defensive help they can possibly get to sort of right. stay in games and hope for the best offensively. And so, yeah, that's, that's not what you want to see either but that defense I do I I was going to say like it's not fair but I do still have more faith in that defense which is still an insane thing to say to me but like (laughs) for me to say about Duke football I still can't wrap my mind around it even though it's been years now that that's been the case but their defense is the more trustworthy unit and they're going to have to be the ones to keep them in games how do you think that sorry Pierce how do you think that matches up with like looking at Virginia's offensive line this year it's inarguably the best that it's been under Mendenhall like they've got depth and knock on wood because man they're healthy right now and there's guys that can actually push people around how do you think that 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 position battle is going to match up and who who would you give the edge to even when you consider we don't know much about what we just don't know what Brendan Armstrong is going to look like yet because we have no right. tape and that they're rolling out like Wayne Talapapa and a ham sandwich at the running back position. Like they have like two guys on scholarship. Like it's a, it's a little thin. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say like, for me, I think it is certainly an intriguing matchup. I think um, I was intrigued by it too, because Boston college, even though we knew nothing about their quarterback until that game, um, like they had a good offensive line. And so you kind of thought, 
And that's the other thing too. You're going to see a team yet again, sort of shifting its offensive identity. You would think at least to a degree because Boston college suddenly is a team that's passing and it's like, Whoa, what is this? You know? And, and Duke Duke was not as well prepared for that part of it. Whereas like, um, you know, Virginia also is going to be shifting a little bit. It's offensive philosophy and and you're going to have to adjust to that on the fly if you're Duke's defense. So you know, I think personnel-wise, if you were just looking at it that way, I would look, I would think, hey, that's going to be really fun to watch uh, as a matchup. But, like, in terms of Duke's defense overall matching up against it, it's just like, man, they, yet again, they're going to have no idea, <laughs> like, kind of what to expect or what it's mm. going to look like. And, and that's probably not the situation that they want heading into this. But I do really, really love their front, and they've played really well. They, they need to get turnovers, though. That's the biggest yeah. thing. And that's where I think quarterback play and maybe even, a, a, you know, new new running backs and new some new skill position guys could come into play because they just haven't been able to get turnovers and if they can do that that would help them out quite a bit because their offense seemingly is just hey here's a turnover here you go they've got what seven i think yeah. they've got seven in two games that's bad <laughs> they had five last week five that's not good seems, seems not ideal for duke it uh, seems no. more like virginia fans might be hearing daniel jones type things yep. <laughs> And it really does. I mean, half answers already. What the point I was I was going to ask you, which was, it seems obvious, but it definitely seems like the playbook for UVA is to take care of the ball. Because if you can grind yeah. out and take care of the ball and not give Duke any turnovers, Duke's going to make enough mistakes and probably be, you know, susceptible to to things here or there that you can, you know, comfortably. Uh, secure win it's sort of obvious right whoever takes care of the ball usually wins yeah but no I think I think you're right like you just the thing is and you saw this I think play out some with Boston College you can just sort of be patient like don't you don't have to force anything like just wait for it to come to you and Duke special teams have been not great either they've been pretty bad across the board and that I think has been kind of a hidden issue with Duke the last few years too is like their special teams had gotten pretty good for a while now they're not as good and that's a you know they say it's a hidden yardage place and it is and I mean they left yeah. I think four points off the board like when it was still a game against BC like missed a short field goal missed an extra point like that that kind of stuff is going to lose you games and and that's another way Virginia I think could at least you know flip the field or I mean I don't know what Virginia special teams are supposed to look like but I can't it actually, yeah it actually that's a spot where I feel oddly confident slash obviously losing a kick returner like Joe Reed is tough, but, um, you know, in the punt game, I feel like they will still have, I think Billy, Ke- uh, is Billy Kemp going to do it or Tavares Kelly? Um, either way, there's guys that have been on the team for a couple of years that have fielded punts. Um, but this FCS is actually, transfer. oh yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, Shane Simpson's back there too. So, you know, you look at Nash Griffin, I, you know, you know, I love punters, Lauren. <laughs> like, the ACC too. punters, the ACC punters are like just really? making my heart so happy with like Presley Harvin from Georgia Tech, and I still do love our you know middle-aged Australian dad. <laughs> He's not really a dad, I don't know, but the Miami punter with all the tattoos, and then Carolina Nashville. has an Irish one as well. What? Oh, this I is so it's Irish. I'm pretty sure Kiernan. Oh. Maybe I'm projecting, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I know well, now it's not canon. from. I know he's not from. Uh, the good old U.S. of A. From okay. Oh, yeah, Dublin, Ireland. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Was he yeah. a, a Gaelic footballer, or no? He... he came over. Uh, he came over here, I think, to play in high school. Um, 
but he was born, he, he moved here when he was 15. Uh, okay. <laughs> North Carolina, but he was born in Dublin. So that's wonderful. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, I do actually like Nash Griffin comes back. I think Nash Griffin was a really good punter last year. And Brian Delaney is probably the most trust Virginia fans have had in a kicker yeah. in a while. Um, so in those two, in those respects, like I think fans are probably feeling relatively good about the special teams. That's what I have. A, it's, you know, it's hard when you look at, it's hard to compare teams that have played a couple games to those obviously that haven't played at all. Um, but I look at some of the roster stuff and so much is obviously going to hinge on what Brennan Armstrong does. Cause as we said, the just give it to Bryce offense is gone. And, you know, Joe Reed and Hasis Dubois, probably two of the better wide receivers in the country um, last season. Um, I love Terrell Jana. I think he's going to have an incredible season. Um, but there are still some question marks there, but I look at the offensive line. I look at, I'm so excited about Tony Poljan, the new tight end, six, mm-hmm. seven, two sixty five. Is that right? Did I make that up? Or is that, um, I haven't memorized this. I did wait. You have it? No, yeah. I got it right. So I don't know which is more embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but you know, me, of course the nerd is like, Ooh, he's going to be so good in the blocking game. And then also can make catches. Um, but I don't know. I just get, I go back and forth. Like I can't figure out, I guess I can't really figure out where I think they're going to be. I guess Hard I'm a little confused the why they're, yeah, I just, I'm, see I'm, them. <laughs> yes, they'll be yeah, I just get a little con- confused why, when they return so many pieces and I know one of them isn't Bryce Perkins, but I did yeah. the same thing because I was like, listen, I, I like Virginia and I think that they'll be good like they're not going to be bad but I still think like in terms of me thinking like are they going to be like real good that's where I have the hesitation and it's literally just out of respect for Bryce and not (laughs) and nothing else like he was a difference maker in so many close games and in a good way and and I just think like it's hard to replicate that the year after you lose somebody like that you even saw that I remember with UNC they lost Marquise Williams. They bring in Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky, excuse me. <laughs> Full name now. Still not used to that. No, and when you I, talk about him in you know, college, you get to still call him Mitch because that was his, you know. Thank you. Yeah. And everybody was so optimistic. So like, oh, it's a full quarterback. Like they should even be better, but they weren't better. And you know why? Because Marquise was like a really special kind of leader and a guy that this yeah. team really loved. And that's nothing against Mitch necessarily, but he, he didn't have that part, yeah. you know, yeah. and that part is so unique and that's that's all I say that out of, not out of any other disrespect to Virginia. Uh, no, of course. Or like, it's just Bryce, and I loved him. So. Well, quarterback is so critical, you know, and so if it's a question mark, then yeah, yeah everybody's. I mean, it's it's rightfully to like pause in the optimism, but yeah, all the I points do, you lay my, out yeah. obviously makes sense, Caroline. With because I think that the the biggest thing where it might not be well all of it I think so much of it hinges on what the offensive line looks like and the mm-hmm. way that they were playing at the end of the season last year I think was I, I mean you can say it was good it was solid there's they were so great. many elite, uh, teams in the ACC this year with questionable o-line play yeah so like if you have that as less of a question mark that's certainly a mark in your favor yeah so. that's a good point I, um, I'm curious about this discussion with with Duke and and what what is their floor of a program with Cutcliffe and, and, you know, are people getting unhappy because they're not reaching their ceiling or, or just sort of that cycle of who's a good program and, and, and who isn't, especially with the parity in the coastal division. It's, 
it's it's fun to look at year in and year out and go okay well if they're going to take a step up then who's taking a step back if this if these three teams are taking right. a step up then someone's got to take a step back because they keep playing each other so what of duke's recent consistency that maybe they're lacking is the fact that you know, UVA was a down program, that Miami had all time, you know, years of issues, uh, et cetera. You know, if some of these programs are sort of getting it together, then others are going to lose more games and are, are going to be, you know, perceived to not I have think, it together anymore. I hear you. That's a good point, I think. But I also think like, for example, with Duke, it's, it's, oh, sorry. See, I was going to do a find <laughs> on my computer. Like Duke hasn't ranked in the top 40 in like yards per play in uh-huh. the country in, I, 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 I won't go back again to see because I will get another ding noise, but I mean, it's, it's been 80 or below now for three straight years so far. And uh-huh. that's, that's something too. I think it's less about necessarily who they're winning and losing against and more about like you said too like I sort of pointed out the yo-yo too Mm, of like mm -hmm. yeah you can keep it close inexplicably sometimes against a team like Clemson for a half on the road and then you go out and lose to a team that's not very good and you get dominated sometimes and you look like trash and it's it's the way it's playing out less so I think than like the fact that they're winning and losing if that makes sense like it's the fact that they're making all of these mistakes and the play calling just hasn't been all that imaginative and and Mm -hmm. It's the, and it's the lack of consistency, too. I think all of those things are sort of playing into the discontent more so than just we won X amount of games and lost X amount of games. Makes sense. Yeah. That's... Do you think when you look at the ACC this year, obviously, no, <laughs> the Coastal has been preserved in its wackiness. There's no divisions. Um, do you go Clemson, Notre Dame, 1-2? And if so, who's your number three? Or if it's not your 1-2, who would you put? I mean, I, I would probably like hesitantly put Carolina at, at three, maybe, although I did, I think I did have Miami ahead of them in the top 25, but only because Miami's given me more of a sample size. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. My top 25 this week was wild <laughs> and I loved it. I was the only person apparently to vote for uh, UT San Antonio. <laughs> yeah. So ever, gave, right? Yeah, Wasn't it ever? ever. The I runner. gave them their first 20, top 25 vote and I was like, yeah, so they, they, you were the, put, yeah. You were the reason for a graphic. It's so exciting. I felt good about it. I yeah. my, the yeah. bottom of my poll was very much category. Like I had Troy, Louisiana, SMU, Marshall, all you know ranked, and it's just like, you know, I I love that. I'm not gonna rank a garbage like P5 team that I don't think is all that great when I yeah. can rank yeah. teams. And look, the SEC, the Big Ten's back in the poll next week. I was gonna have some fun while I still could, but yeah, I did. Have, <laughs> I had Miami. At ten, and I, I left Carolina where they were because they didn't play. And you know, I but I was I was actually probably feeling a little better about Carolina when I saw how the Syracuse played Pitt. Um, yeah, yeah. I was like, that was you know that game was a little closer than I think some people thought. And you were like, okay, well maybe you know maybe it wasn't such a concern that Carolina played them close for a half. Um, and yeah, like I I, I think. They still have some issues, though, for sure. And Miami, though, has – I mean, they looked real good against Louisville, and I felt like that was enough to bump them up a spot. But, I mean, if I had to look big picture full season, I guess I'd still have Carolina. But it'd be close between those two. I'm still not quite sold on Pitt. I know some people are falling falling in love, and, and I get it, but I'm still – I'm just not quite there yet. Um, I need to yeah, see I, yeah, same. a functional same. football team. Um, <laughs> same. So, we'll see. 
Well, speaking of functional so uh, football teams, you know, as someone who, who has a, a broader view of, of this conference and, and the national landscape of the sport, in your mind, how likely are we to continue to have functional football teams? <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> to I, the degree that we're hoping for. That's part of it too. Like I don't, that's part of why I, I am a little reluctant to go like so hard on Cutcliffe because mm-hmm. I know that like, this is something that has made it really tough to deal with. And by the way, Duke is one of those teams that came back later than some of the others too. Um, mm-hmm. They were being extra cautious. They've been a little more cautious even than some of the locals. I think they're the only local school that I cover that has everybody in their own room. Um, which, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Just, just trying to make sure that they do everything they can. They haven't had very many issues um, since they first got back. And um, so I think your game is okay. Knock on wood, I think we're gonna make it to Saturday, and and they played a team in BC that had like had like one positive the yeah, entire I mean, time. So I think that they're probably okay. Mm-hmm. I think you guys are probably safe, but yeah, I, I think that's the thing too is like this is not gonna be a normal football season, and I think the sooner we all recognize that, we also meaning like college football playoff and all that stuff, mm-hmm. this the better this will go because okay, cool, like they get to play and they wanted to play and that's great and and good for them, but. Uh, we're not going to be able to see who deserves to make a college football playoff face on this year. And if we put like, if we put that on the line and put that at stake, like I don't know that we can trust the college football coaches collectively to do the right thing. Yeah. That's a good point. (laughs) We've already seen examples of them saying that out loud. (laughs) Riley, you know, like, yeah, it's a competitive advantage to share my COVID numbers. Um, the because the other part that i look at yeah like that's what happens like right now so wake and notre dame postpone and there are dates that they can move things to what is the cutoff like also the yeah. big 10 is going to try and play eight games in eight weeks like they don't have LOL. any guys they don't have any yeah it's not going to happen so that's where i completely agree like we need to there's i look at it from two different sides one when games like wake and notre dame get postponed there, one can look at it optimistically in the sense that like there are protocols in place. Those protocols yeah. led to these things being discovered and hopefully it minimizes the spread and all of this stuff. At the same time, you're like, okay, so what is the plan now? Like what happens when you no longer can fit games into December 12th? Right. <laughs> you know, like you can't, you know, thank goodness that Duke and Virginia and the ACC were flexible enough to move this game to this weekend because otherwise... Virginia would have had 10 straight games over 10 weeks because the ACC was adamant about them adding a non-con, which, okay, cool. <laughs> like, great. Thanks for that. Um, and with the, non-cons. yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hey, I don't, don't play why. Liberty ever. Thank you. Yeah. No one play. Yeah. No, this is, that's a very same take we have here on this, on this podcast, but what, I mean, how do you, if this things podcast get canceled, they a- get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast has a history of of flaming hot takes. The thing is, too, I've seen coaches express a lot of like frustration and in terms of um the protocols, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of contact tracing, um like, and I get it to a degree. Like, you could have a guy in a room with a guy for five minutes, and they'll have to, you know sit him down for two weeks and and I get that that's frustrating and disruptive and to me that's the easiest thing I could see them sort of saying yeah 
yeah let's, let's not worry about all of that yeah. um and that's upsetting but it is what it is i get it though like i get the frustration and i mean to have guys sit down for two weeks and then try to come back after not having practice like that's that's not safe and it's not yeah. ideal and 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 so yeah that can kind of wreck a lot of things and I mean, it's crazy. Like, like Notre Dame had its own issues, and then it seemed like they settled down, and then all of a sudden they got more issues. And I think, mm-hmm. from what I understand, and the, and the same thing happened to Charlotte, right? Like, where I think they only had one offensive lineman get it, but the contact tracing meant that essentially their offensive line was the yeah no longer available. And you know, it, that's that's how easily it can happen. And if they, but you know, this is this is my question: How is Florida State playing this week? Did Mike Norvell not have contact with any of his players? Well, wouldn't it explain a lot? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I just See, I that's the one that I can't now, figure he's out. Okay, I can I, I love it. I waited. Have, like, I've been he texts. He's been texting everybody on a group chat. Like, what are we? Like, how can Notre? You know, like Notre Dame has contact tracing that's taking people out of commission for the week. Right. They can't play. Same thing with, you know, Virginia Tech or what happened with, with Charlotte. How is the head coach not forcing everybody, including assistant coaches, into contact tracing? Yeah, because the you're, you're telling me that he didn't talk yeah. to the assistant coaches or the yeah. position coaches right. who then would be within six feet of the positional players for X amount of minutes. Like that's the one that I just don't understand yeah, is how a head coach can get it and you don't have anybody in contact tracing. That one was weird to me too. And I don't really know. I do know some programs are trying to do some creative things, like even making sure some of their assistants that they have as like backups don't go near the assistant that would, you know, be backing up and things like that. And just trying to make sure that they do as much as they can remotely and over zoom and not having to do as much in-person stuff. So that in that way, I could see it potentially being something, but I mean, you haven't heard the best things about the way Florida State's handling this. So there's also that. Super stoked Virginia gets to play both Miami and Florida State in the state of Florida. Super stoked about that. <laughs> Lauren, how, uh, how conceivable is it to you th- th- that they could extend the season in these cases, uh, you know, um, three, four, five weeks or, or, or indefinitely, you know, what, what what's going to stop them from going, well, just play the games in January? I don't, I guess nothing, right? I mean, I, I don't see what else could work, especially with the Big Ten trying to do what it's doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me, okay, like good luck with all of that. There's no way to me that you're going to have uh, you're going to be able to play those games with no cushion. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't see how this doesn't get into January somehow, but we'll see. Um, it's it, in some ways it's been nice. Like you said, it's nice. It's good to see Brian Kelly uh, uncharacteristically do the right thing. Um, <laughs> when he said last week, he's like, no more us being the nice guys. I was yeah. like, that, when has anyone said that about? <laughs> That's not a thing for you, Brian. But good <laughs> not a single person has ever said that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it is good to see that sort of thing happen. And, and high-profile teams that would have playoff implications cancel a game and not mm-hmm. worry about yeah. what that means. And I, I do like to see that. Um, and so, you know, I, maybe so at some point we'll recognize that, like, either 
either we need to stop dangling the carrot of a college football playoff because you're going to be incent- you're going to incentivize coaches to do the wrong thing or yeah. we just say like we're going to give extra time here for everybody to do what they need to do i want to see like well no i don't want to see this at all but the discussion of like a 5 and 0 um ohio state team that's you know hasn't played any you know like hasn't played penn state i have to look at their yeah, that, schedule no, whatever. This but them, horrible yeah this sounds like a nightmare <laughs> now that i say it when they're like well, we're undefeated and clemson's like oh you played five games um and obviously that's not anyone's fault but we just know that that discussion is going to be coming well no later. that's the thing and it's going to be exceedingly stupid and like i don't <laughs> i'm not and that's that's the thing too it's going to be like put into some kind of stupid playoff talking point as opposed to like you know because i've already seen talk of like hey like i state like some frustrated state fans um I guess forgetting that they had to move their game against Virginia Tech too. We're sort of saying like, you know, at what point should get, should teams have to forfeit? And it's like, well, okay, like let's not start doing that because then we go down this road even further of like, yeah, disincentivizing coaches from doing the right thing. So I, it's going to be a mess, and we we just sort of need to understand that it's going to be. A mess. I mean, I even saw some people here locally advocating since Wake got its game canceled. And Carolina doesn't have a game. Like, why don't they just play each other? Um, they're supposed to play in November already. But yeah. <laughs> why not just do it in case some stuff goes sideways? Right. I mean, yeah. People where I'm like, oh, maybe they can find a game for this weekend. And then everyone finds themselves super busy when you recommend Army. No, I, and I get it. I'm kidding. I completely I get it. No one wants to play a triple option on short yep. notice. But um, how, how are NC State fans feeling about – their wish of finally getting to play all the coastal teams <laughs> well I think that they feel way better after this past week because that the way that they played was they played really well and I was I was really impressed with the way they came out I mean they just they looked really well prepared they hadn't played yet they've had a lot of coordinator turnover coach turnover, yeah. and they looked really really good and so I think like Yes, at the beginning of the season, they were not super thrilled with it because they're like, oh, great, this season? Okay, thanks a lot. <laughs> but now I think they're starting to feel a little more optimistic that like, hey, our team that's healthy, you know, it can actually be pretty decent and, and might compete pretty well against that division um, better than they thought anyway. So um, there's some a little bit of newfound optimism, I think, about what they can do. I know Wake's not necessarily all that great, but they still, you know, they looked pretty good from the jump and maybe they can do some stuff that's not super <laughs> nc Stady, you know that would I'm be a little worried about the defense a little yes. both oh yeah, of yeah. teams for both oh. of them although that it was, was a uh, little bit dave doran was not wrong when he pointed this out he's like yeah we we have had our we had our issues he's like but you didn't see like guys just blatantly running by corners like you did a year ago and i was like dang dave but he's oh, not geez. wrong yeah <laughs> before we uh i do have a few basketball questions for you we have you but before we get get to that i i do maybe close up the the talk i know we we hit on it uh, a little bit but i'm curious to know definitively of the what does every duke fan already knows going to happen saturday what is the answer to that and so what should we be expecting from from like Win loss wise, I think like that you guys win, and that you know probably your defense yet again confuses uh, Duke's offense. Because the other thing too is like Boston College, and they didn't know this before the game. 
um, necessarily, but like Boston College came out and some like they played some zone, and that wasn't something. This is not again not a basketball thing yet, but <laughs> yeah. you know that was something that they don't go against in practice, and that they don't they weren't they clearly weren't ready for, and I think it forced some of uh, the the bad decisions, and I uh-huh. think what you see from Bronco um, from Chase Bryce's perspective is going to be, I think, infinitely more complicated and confusing than what you saw um, against Boston college. So I, I, you know, I think, I think what I said probably holds true in that they come out and they look much more competent from the start, but that may not translate into actual points and that Virginia still wins the game. Uh, I, for one, hope you're correct, uh, Caroline. That sounds, that sounds pretty good. Oh, well, you want me to predict now? Uh, no, I was going to say. Oh, okay. you so no, that good. sounds good. Yeah, that sounds delightful. I'm excited to see some, like, really fun blitzes from Virginia. Like, that's the stuff where, you know, this is all, I, you know, some of my, some of our friends over at the Syracuse site, News Magician, with, with that first week where they're like, we were excited for football to come back. Now I don't know how we feel anymore. Um that's kind of where I'm like, I'm still in that excited for football to come back. Yeah. And I don't mean that as like an insult to like what the preparation and all the stuff, but things, could, you know, I don't know. It's just like, it, we're in this like happy spot right now of like just the pure excitement. <laughs> it's hard not to read the depth chart of the front seven and just go get that like Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Like you're, you're just <laughs> yeah, like I'm... Richard Burney. Oh yeah. Juwan Briggs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mandy yeah, Alonso. Ooh. <laughs> Noah Taylor. Ooh. <laughs> I know. You know. I did it when it came Minnesota. out. I looked at it. And oh you're just God. like, yes, yes. All, these, <laughs> yeah. all this fun stuff. So hopefully that holds up uh, yeah. for us in the news. But, but yeah, Lauren, I, I do want a, a couple quick basketball notes because there's so much going on. And I'm, I'm just curious, are you going to get invited to in person cover the Duke bubble invitational lockdown or uh, whatever they're organizing over there in, in Krzyzewskiville? I, I'm imagining some sort of like, church lock-in where they invite. oh my god i'll bring my sleeping bag <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> they're like okay our bubble is literally this building so sorry in advance um but we're happy to have you seven teams here with us <laughs> i don't even know if they would let us in if we're being honest i mean i haven't heard anything about that but like the way cameron is constructed and i know caroline knows this too the media is so close like it's not it's yeah. not like you have a press row and there's a little distance as, as yeah. like it is most places. Like the media is, we would be sharing the same airspace. And like they so, can't even put you anywhere else. Like there's not even a second no. option of like, they have, well, I guess, like, a, that they have a cro- Yeah, they have the crow's yeah. nest and they could put us in the crowd, you know, potentially. So I don't know how that would go because I don't think that they're not going to allow fans. I'm sure right, of that. Right, Durham's right. actually been more restrictive even as a city than like Raleigh has and some other yeah. areas. And so I, and Duke certainly as an institution has been, I mean, they, they, there hasn't even been a discussion about fans. Like that was not even on the table. It was like, that's not happening. I don't even think, I don't even think parents are coming like as, as at Carolina and state, they're having some, yeah. I don't think that's happening at Duke either. So, you know, I, I think I would be shocked if they had any fans for that. Um, my dream currently um, is to cover <laughs> the, Ma- the Maui Invitational, which is national. <laughs> it is always my dream to cover Maui actually. Of course. I will allow it in Asheville I have heard nothing about like media info or anything like that but I really badly want to cover that um because I love Asheville will they start or is that like a hashtag campaign like hashtag get Lauren to Asheville will they send Bill Walton and just tell him it's in Maui 
God, I well, hope so. one of my friends suggested that I do a tell-all, uh, like a like a piece where I follow <laughs> around Bill Walton and just write about that experience and just like you know one of those not a tell-all. Certainly, I would not tell all. <laughs> <laughs> tell very little. Bill, I would not tell all if you're listening. But I would like to have an experience like that with Bill in Asheville, which, in case people don't know, is um. It's on the hippier side. Asheville's okay. a friendly Bill Walton kind of it town. It is a oh, I didn't know Bill that. Walton town. Oh, that's yeah. great. Oh, yeah. yeah, Bill will flourish <laughs> yeah. in Asheville and be very happy. That's all I'm going to say. He just never leaves. He's like, I'm staying. This is <laughs> his needs will be very much taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. amazing. Well, my final ACC basketball topic is is just real quick. Where do you sit on the every basketball team gets to play in the NCAA <laughs> tournament idea that we champions, conference of coast Atlantic Coast champions, are, are are unified in our pursuit of this monstrosity? I will admit that I don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I'm not one of those people that like gets all weird about like increasing participation in the tournament and things like that especially because to me but although I do think it will only continue to benefit um the power five teams Mm -hmm. instead of the ones that I'd like it to benefit which is the deserving you know teams from other conferences that Mm -hmm. like won their regular season and lost like three games all year and somehow don't get in because we need to put a 12 loss power five team in there I don't (laughs) I don't care for that and I think it would only continue to go that Sorry, kind of Syracuse. route. Uh, <laughs> this is, we're looking at you, Syracuse. Just like, I hate it. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I, so I'm not one of those people that, like, I hate the idea of an expanded field or anything. I just don't really know, A, how that would work, and B, what it would solve, and C, why the coaches did that? <laughs> Are they okay? Yeah. It's, I laughed because one, everyone started talking about it like it was a thing, like after the coaches said it, like that that was the deciding but like factor. they said it. <laughs> right. And like, so no the NCAA though was like, it. no, I think the, and after I thought about it and talked to a couple people, I was like, oh, the idea would be because a lot of athletic departments are very strapped for cash with all of this going on that you would then sure. get more money, which is, a, I uh, think, a, yeah. a, a good, like well-intentioned um, thing but I just think overall like the logistics and even then the costs for some of those same schools you're trying to help by doing that would then have to you know incur extra costs for testing and bubble type things so I don't know how much it would actually benefit and I the funniest thing to me was like we had that day of like oh my god everyone in the tournament like everybody, it's happening like and then the next day the NCAA like I think it was Dan Gavitt was basically like we really appreciate their input but we're not gonna do that. <laughs> who who out there was the actual first person in writing to make the UMBC Ooh. joke though? Because oh, okay. oh, yeah. <laughs> we I got know into which, the thousands. But yeah. I want to know like which ACC coach was like the one to be like, guys, I have. <laughs> idea. I want to be on that call so badly. Oh my god, I love and by the way, like they've been doing this in football, and I think they've been doing it some in basketball too. But like, I think they're not doing it in football currently. But the whole uh, like the whole hiatus, they were all having like this group Zoom, yeah. And I loved that idea so much. And like, I could even see it like Clawson and Doran, I think, have an okay relationship. But like, they like took an extra few minutes after that game and like loved on each other a little bit, like at a distance, you know, talked and, you know, Hey, and I was like, Oh my God, like they, this has made them like each other. I love that so much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm just waiting for the announcement of in these unprecedented times, SEC 
recommends that we play with two basketballs on the court. You know, just like, <laughs> so that more people can have so time. So that more players ball. get more shots in the fewer games that we're going to have to play in this national I emergency. I am obsessed with trying to figure out the scheduling as of right now with basketball. Like this is all that I want to like piece together on Twitter um, with like, you know, okay, if so-and-so is supposed to be here and you get this many, it's like a logic puzzle. It's like you get this many non-conference oh. games and Virginia's, rec- you know, trying to do this and they're trying to keep the ACC big 10 challenge. Um, and I think Virginia and Villanova are trying to keep their game. So there could be a situation in which Virginia is like, five non-conference games are like Villanova hopefully a good Big Ten team um well maybe not hopefully because then you could also have Kansas and UCLA in the wooden legacy now that Georgetown dropped out and then like what do you do with that fifth one (laughs) like oh my god like (laughs) we we made it uh, almost a whole podcast without you uh, announcing that you're obsessed with scheduling (laughs) hypotheticals (laughs) I know. Yeah, we were bound we'll to get there, but I know. I just can't. I'm so excited. <laughs> now that I'm in business school, I like yeah. making spreadsheets. Yeah. It's a skill of mine now. You should make the ACC schedules later, so everyone can yell at you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> submit just just submit one earlier before they release one, and then they have to ignore you or say no. Maybe yeah. Caroline's like, I just use an algorithm. I don't make a team. <laughs> <laughs> Syracuse is like why are our first eight games on the road <laughs> no reason Virginia Tech's like we don't even have any games right. oh weird <laughs> alright well Lauren thank you immensely for uh, taking the time to talk with us again we always appreciate you coming on of course and uh, Wahoo fans stay tuned to streakingalon.com for uh, some Duke updates and and certainly more uh, predictions and such as we get closer to saturday's opener potential probably happening at this point opener so i i feel comfortable saying all right all right you heard it here first (laughs) lauren brownlow is comfortable predicting that there will be a game on saturday (laughs) i don't feel comfortable predicting much of anything (laughs) this one i feel pretty comfortable we're going week by week here folks but uh looking forward to it hopefully it'll be a a beautiful day to watch us on television and uh until (laughs) until next week uh, for everybody at the blog uh, go hoops Thank you.